You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend and fellow Docker captain, Nermal Mehta, as we try to break down GitOps for you. And you may have heard me talking about it over the last few years. It is a topic that I'm increasingly talking about. I think that in 2020, maybe even 2019, it was one of my favorite things of the year was learning about it and how to implement the ideas of it. So we first get into the basics of it, and then we go through a bunch of tools and try to help you understand whether you should be using it. And if you are going to implement the ideas of GitOps, what tools might be GitOps friendly, if that's a thing. So please join me and my friend Nermal as we try to break down some GitOps. Hello, friends. My name is Brett. This is my show. With me today, it's no surprise since he's in the title of this of this show. <laughs> it's a good friend of mine, Nermal Mehta from Booz Allen Hamilton. He's a Docker captain. He's a distinguished engineer at that company and does all things DevOps, containers, and now GitOps. We're talking about that today. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me today. Let's get into it. Yeah, you're one of the OG original captains and going all the way back to 2016 because like me, you were lucky enough to get into Docker in the early days when everything was new and exciting and it was strange and wonderful all at the same time and frustrating. It's still new and it's still new and exciting. It's still, yeah, there are still <laughs> plenty of new and exciting things, which is what we're talking about today, which is yeah, like sort of the absolutely. evolution of where this is all taking us. Thank you, Brett. Awesome that I'm on here again today. How many shows have I been on at this point? Probably close to half a dozen at this point. So you're one of my regulars. All right. I think is that, yeah, does that make me in one of your lists? <laughs> are you looking to be number one? Is that what you need? We can make that happen. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, Let's get into this topic. What's the difference between DevOps and GitOps? And where does mm -hmm. GitOps fit in within the enterprise? So GitOps and DevOps aren't competing. You can, so in, in my world, DevOps is still cultural practices within your team, within an organization, plus technology. And GitOps is a technology that fits in with a DevOps or DevSecOps processes and team kind of collaboration flows and how you achieve some type of outcome with your software development and delivery. So GitOps is a method of using a Git repository of some sort or multiple Git repositories of some sort to be the source of truth for your infrastructure, primarily at this point in time oriented toward Kubernetes. But as this discussion goes on, I think we'll also start talking about how there's a potential on the horizon. We're seeing some movement around using Kubernetes and some other tools to manage the broader cloud and other infrastructure elements. And once we talk about GitOps, 
if your infrastructure is being managed by Kubernetes and then that's being managed by GitOps, then you're also managing your, infra your full infrastructure, including your Kubernetes with GitOps. But we'll get there hopefully a little bit later in this conversation today. So yeah. let's just say a disclaimer, this GitOps stuff is relatively new. It's been around for maybe a year and a half, if that. Uh, a lot of the software was still very kind of version one beta. Don't run all your mission critical apps just yet on there unless you know what you're doing kind of yeah. level of I technology. Think, yeah, and I think that most of these things all have been implemented and have ideas out there years before we end up getting a, a single term or even a, a, a tool that will implement that particular thing all in one go. Like you can look at, mm -hmm. you can look at Docker and Kubernetes and all these things as, a, as the result of that. Big advanced companies, Netflixes and Googles and places like that, were all using containers in Linux before Docker existed, but Docker made it accessible to us mere mortals. Kubernetes made the orchestration, Swarm, Nomad as well, but these orchestrators made private clouds, essentially, more obtainable to mere mortals, or being able to throw workloads at a series of machines and have it all automatically worked out for you, how, where they go and how they run and all that mm -hmm. stuff in a consistent way. That's really what the orchestrators did for us. And now the problem is that the tools that we had for configuration management are less important. Now, not that they're not important, but they're taking on less of a role because now we have Docker installing our apps and dependencies, and we have Kubernetes deciding where they run and how they run and how many to run. And so it's all these previous tools, like Ansible. I was a big Chef SaltStack Puppet. fan, Chef Puppet. I was, I loved when SaltStack came there out, was I loved a, that. You're like a number, like the SaltStack <laughs> user. And I was betting, it was funny because I saw I, SaltStack and Ansible, I was looking at them like in 2014 or whatever, and I mm -hmm. felt like SaltStack could be eventually more declarative. And as an ops person, it felt more opsy. Mm -hmm. And so I went that way. And then, of course, the whole world went to Ansible, and I was, I was like, yeah, I was one of the few. But anyway, these tools came from a world where we did not ha have a system like Kubernetes that would take a set of instructions and then look, and really, Kubernetes was meant for apps, but really, when we get down to the core of it, it's really just a declarative automation engine to look at what your set of instructions are, look at what you're asking it to run, and then make sure that they match, right? I'm probably not describing that correctly, but like it's yeah. pretty generic when you look at the generic APIs of it has controllers, it has an API, and it stores these things in a config DB. And those of us that have been around for decades, like config DBs for your infrastructure have not, are not new, right? We've And we've had all yeah. these tools for decades now that implement their own way to configure. I used to use System Center back in the Microsoft days, right? It was essentially that. Right. It was deploying servers, managing apps, deploying things in a very painful way compared to what we have with containers now. I think GitOps is kind of... So if you follow the Kelsey Hightowers or the center of mass around Kubernetes, many of those folks will tell you Kubernetes is not the end abstraction for whatever, right? It's actually meant for other things to be built on top of it. GitOps is a very good example of now we're getting to a center of mass or a critical adoption percentage, I guess, of Kubernetes, where we're starting to see Kubernetes being leveraged as a platform to build further abstractions. GitOps is a is like something that that utilizes Kubernetes or fills in a gap on top of the Kubernetes abstraction. Right. Player. I could have yeah. said that a little bit more cleanly, but I think 
y'all are kind of getting the gist of this. You're um, talking about from the top down, right? We're thinking of this, we're starting a conversation around the, the long-term problem of running an app on a server is more than just the app itself. And containers really only deal with the app and its dependencies, not right. the infrastructure underneath it. And right. we now have these ideas around container images and how images should be built in CI and we version them. And that essentially our code should automatically become an image once it's tested. Those are concepts that as people get into Docker and Kubernetes, they're, they're realizing that their code needs to be auto-tested and auto-built into images and the images is the artifact. But we don't right. really have, we didn't have that for all the infrastructure that you need to run that app. So eventually someone who deploys Kubernetes, they end up with, they have a manifest file for their app, but then there's all these things in it. There's leaky abstractions in it that talk yes. about storage. And all those backend services that yeah. they've bolted into Kubernetes to make it work the way they want it to. Mm -hmm. And P proxies, what, storage, proxies, S3, secrets. Create, S3 buckets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what if, if you go straight vanilla Kubernetes and you're doing anything beyond just like managing like maybe one or two apps on it, you'll get an explosion of YAML files, essentially, right? And there are tools such as Helm and those type of tools to start templatizing and managing those YAML files as versioned entities, but there's still a gap. And initially, GitOps is to fill the gap between, it is like another abstraction to manage like all those things that manage all those things that manage Kubernetes. And so that's what I meant by it's like an app that's built on top of the abstraction of Kubernetes. Now, what I was kind of alluding to is now folks are building controllers or other things that run on Kubernetes to manage the underlying infrastructure and other services that are not Kubernetes, but in configuration files that are Kubernetes-like, and therefore can take advantage of that next are the helms and the customize formats to manage those YAML files. And then because GitOps manages the kind of reconciliation loop around those Helm charts or Kubernetes YAML files, if you add that all together, what you get is a 10 year ago or seven year ago infrastructure as code management tool, but geared toward the modern era. <laughs> right, right. So it's a very long way of saying what was old is new again, but in, it's new in the way that makes sense for Kubernetes. <laughs> and the thing that Docker first and then Kubernetes gave us, and obviously there's tools before it, but the, the things that they gave us was a, a standard. We now have these things like OCI mm -hmm. and other standards in the container industry that all tools could agree on. So now, regardless of how you build a Docker image, the container image, we, we all, all agree on this imperfect format, but agreed upon format. And I would say that's a, an agreed upon imperfect format is 10 times better than five different formats of something. And instead of starting at the infrastructure layer like Terraform did, or starting at the super high-end package manager, like NPM tried to become the package manager of all package managers, it's more than just JavaScript now. Docker went right into the middle and said, well, we're not trying to reinvent the package manager. We're not adding another package manager. We're going into the world of like DMGs and PKGs and tarballs. And basically, how do I take my application and now all its dependencies, right? So we started from there and we're working out. If you imagine that 
there's the realm of concerns of dev and ops, and Docker sort of sliced itself right in the middle. We standardized. Now we can all at least agree on that format, and then we're working our way out of it. I'm, that's how visually in my head I, I imagine. We're moving in both directions with standards that every cloud and every tool can a, a, adhere to. And GitOps is not a protocol. It's not... It's not anything that I'm not sure how eventually we can standardize on it it's, because it's like DevOps. It's, a, it's just an idea of something. Yeah, I would thing. say it's a pattern. Initially, it was a pattern of deploying. It was tooling to enforce a certain way of deploying your Kubernetes configuration files for your applications right. in a way that forced that information to be stored in a repository. And then the repository becomes your configuration database, for lack of a better term, right. and everything right. is triggered off of that. And it, I think the one kind of paradigm shift is allowing, enforcing two-way communication between the cluster back to Git, your Git repo to make the state of your Git repo match what, what's actually going on in your cluster. Nope. At this point in time, it's nothing more than that. Now, with that kind of pattern established, you can start to do different things with that. And that's where we're seeing like both Argo and Flux kind of going there. It's like, okay, we've established the, the Git repository as a center of truth. What else can we do now with that? We have right, this reconciliation we loop, this? and that, that's the exploration that's going on. I just want to give a real quick okay. example. For those of you that are new, to, let's give a very practical example. So to me, the simplest ex explanation of GitOps in terms of how it would change your day-to-day -day is that if, if you have Kubernetes already, you figured that out, you have container images, you're going to run them in Kubernetes, you are probably the person that creates the manifest file. And whether you use Helm or Customize or the new... KPT, I've been checking that out recently. All these different ways to describe your application in YAML, essentially, or a template. And you now have that. You're probably storing that in a Git repo. Whether it's in your app repo or somewhere else, we'll worry about that later. That's just a logistical thing. But you have this file or files that describe how Kubernetes should deploy your app. And you're probably using a kube control apply to do that. Now you are the person who has to do that, which means we don't really ever know if the YAML file you have in Git hopefully you're storing it in Git, is the thing that's running in the cluster. We don't actually know, because we'd have to do run some kube control commands to see whether you deployed it or one of the team members deployed it. And so someone might say, well, we want to automate that. So let's put it into CI that every time we change it, we just run a kube control apply against the cluster, which is kind of a generic, it just sort of blasts things out. You don't really know, you don't have confirmation. And so GitOps tries to take that at the simplest level, it tries to take that and automate it so that the cluster itself knows about your repo and knows that when you change it, that you mean to update the stuff in your cluster right. and it will do it for you. So it's almost like a pull versus push model. It doesn't rely on a human anymore to run kube control commands. In fact, one of the hallmarks of GitOps is that you remove kube control or direct cluster control from people on normal day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Obviously, troubleshooting and you know setup, those are different things. Yeah. But on a day-to-day, -day, applications getting updated and deploying, ideally, when you commit code to a repo, if you have permissions to that repo or that branch, because now, like in GitHub, we can do branch control where we can actually say in GitHub and other tools that only certain people have access to do to the master branch or have commits go to the master branch. And it requires a PR and the PR requires three reviewers and all tests pass. Like you can now right. do all that in a lot of these Git tools. So you have that whole authorization and workflow for your code, but now you can do it for the configuration of your 
software code. And that yes. to me is like the simplest way. When we talk about tools like Argo and Flux, at their simplest level, they're just a tool that runs in Kubernetes that looks at your Git repo for these manifests or Helm charts or whatever, and then auto-reconciles your changes with the cluster. So the cluster is ideally always in sync with your Git repo without human involvement. Sound and right? it also can monitor the image, your Docker registry and image registry. I don't know if you mentioned that. but Yeah, I didn't. If it, it, it's, 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 it's sort of like an extra changes. bonus feature. I think that was a perfect summary of it. It is kind of a hard concept to relay. It requires a lot of prerequisite knowledge of hmm. Kubernetes to properly explain GitOps. And you have um, to know the problem, right? Like you have to realize right. that someday... I have clients where they've now figured out Kubernetes. They understand how that works. They figured out containers. They've got them auto-building images. They're going into the registry. And then they make these manifests. And they're like, okay, the manifests work great. Now, every time I want to do something, I have to go and update the manifest. And then you run kube control apply. Now they realize that's their day job. And in the world of DevOps, and especially SREs, we talk about this thing called toil is that stuff you do all the time repetitively over and over. And it's something you should automate if you're trying to do more yep. DevOps. And that's where I think the GitOps idea is, okay, th this is toil. We should automate these things and make it more yep. intelligent, like you're saying, right? Yeah. And one of the one of the outcomes is it starts to make your Kubernetes clusters into cattle instead of pets, which in combination with other tools like Terraform or whatever other thing is managing the infrastructure that Kubernetes is on, running on, GitOps plus something like that some other configuration tool that manages cluster gets you to think about the cluster state as the cluster itself and what's deployed on there as cattle, as a cattle right. cluster right. versus a manually crafted like cluster. <laughs> yeah. So I think describing a real world example of where this might be useful might help people with their context. So imagine you're in an organization and you're the platform as a service, shared services, you've been assigned to be a shared service provider internally in your organization. So you want to provide a platform as a service based on Kubernetes to multiple internal development teams or business units. So one way to tackle that problem would be to just spin, write some infrastructure as code, write your Jenkins pipelines around the infrastructure as code, and just spin up Kubernetes clusters for each business unit and then turn around and give cube control access to every development team. Right. And so the just, developer has basically, yeah, they have limited admin <laughs> rights on your cluster right. and they can deploy just, anytime without right. committing to get, they can just run commands on your cluster. Right. And, yeah. And, and just you hope and you wish that they don't Mess it up, right? That's your potential toil to your risk. Another way would be to potentially have a way to provide some consistency around how each Kubernetes cluster or a multi-tenant, multi-customer cluster is managed and maintained. It might have, you know, security tooling that needs to be standardized. It might have naming conventions and all this other stuff on the cluster that should not be changed and is managed by your team. But you also want to provide flexibility to the development teams to deploy what they need onto those clusters. And you don't want to determine they're only allowed to have three microservices named with Brett dash whatever. You don't want to get to that level of abstraction, but you want to give some kind of way of both operational efficiency and managing the cluster, but also giving flexibility to developers. And also you don't really want to give them full control over the cluster. 
GitOps is a perfect way to have your customers use Git repositories with templatized artifacts, Helm charts or YAML files, that then your Git repository for those development teams become their main interface to the clusters and what they're allowed to deploy. And so you don't have to give them necessarily direct access to the cluster. You just have to enforce some standardization around how they're defining the artifacts and and some guidance on how that's um, standardized across your organization. And so long as they follow those standards or follow whatever you want, you can guarantee that their application is automatically deployed in that way in your shared use cluster. I hope that's an example that provides right. like a real world use case for, for these patterns. <laughs> and yeah, and the tools are getting smarter. So uh, other workflows that you can have here, like you mentioned while I go about images is for example, I can have flux. It's looking at files, but again, it's running as a controller in your Kubernetes cluster. And you can have this Git repo with all your YAML in it. And we're just right now just talking about the things that run on top of Kubernetes. So that really your container apps, we're going to get to actually new things like cross-plane and your AWS tool that you just mentioned that I forgot about, but we're, we're going to get all those in a second, <laughs> because this is this, the idea of this essentially not just infrastructure creation, but doing remediation. That's really, I think coming back to the GitOps mm-hmm. idea that we are reconciling any drift which is one of the big challenges whenever you do infrastructure as code is unless the humans all obey your rules that you made up, like only I can run the kube controller ply or the Terraform or the, the AWS CLI, like only I'm the one that can do that, you will end up eventually with drift where someone else has done a thing. Or the system itself has mm, like autoscaling. Like done something. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> with the tools like Argo and Flux, one, there's two main ways. It watches a Git repo for changes in your manifest, and it can also watch images for a pattern in images. So maybe your CI tool automatically Whenever you tag a Git release, maybe you have this workflow in your Mm -hmm. company where you say, okay, when we tag release, our CI tool will automatically build an image with this particular name in it, like maybe has a version, it's a Simver or something. And Mm -hmm. then these tools will watch for those and be smart enough to say, okay, you've got a new version of the image. I'm actually going to let the robots do all this. We're going to deploy that new image in the cluster. But then I'm also going to retroactively edit the YAML in your manifest so that your Git log of your infrastructure now correctly shows which version of the image, because that's part of the problem too, right? Is if we create automation on image deployment, that's drift away from what our configs were. And my config might, like my original deployment, this is kind of the whole day one versus day two problem of, I have these great manifests or Helm charts, and then things start to drift as versions of containers get updated. But then if we're trying to set up the robots, the robot should do it. And I do like this whole, automated, basically robots making commits and Git repos for me. (laughs) When you actually see that in action, I think that's when it starts to really click. Mm -hmm. When you see those commits, like Flux or Argo, like committing back to your repo with the the image ID or whatever of of that service, then you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. There's two main, there might be others, but the two main ones that I've seen are Argo CD and Flux. Flux version two just came out recently. Argo CD is very popular. They're both open source. Flux is developed by the Weaveworks folks. I'm not sure who, I think Argo's might be just someone, just their own thing. And both have different feature sets and different functionality in, in terms of like additional features, but fundamentally they do the same thing, which is monitor a Git repository and an image repository for changes, apply those changes, and then 
make sure that those files in the Git repo reflect the actual status after those changes are applied or if right. something fails, it doesn't update the Git repo because nothing changed. Yeah, and they're kind of starting to work together. They're both iterating on the same idea around we want more intelligence <laughs> in our cluster because people talk about, like, I run a kube control apply, and then what? If I told a robot to yeah. simply type that command in with the same manifest file every time there was a git commit in a repo, that's not very intelligent. We, it might have rolled back because it was a failed deployment. How do I become aware of that? And, and so these tools are getting smarter at validating and remediation. And also we've talked about things like images might get updated, but then the, the infrastructure code never changed. Now, do we really want every time we build a new version of our image to go back into another repo and then type the, the simver number? Do we want humans to have to do that, right? That's a question that right. they start to solve. And then lastly, yeah. we've got many clusters. The thing that I'm starting to work out is how many repos do I need <laughs> for all of my infrastructure? And how can these tools help me do stuff with maybe not so many repos, especially if I'm doing like branch control where I'm, I'm limiting branch permissions and stuff like that. Because obviously we don't necessarily want an app with three code repos and then you have to have 10 different infrastructure repos because the, of the way the tools work. And you don't want too many commits. Like right now, one of the things I'm dealing with, see mono repos versus distributed, whatever the other non-mono repos, micro repos, I don't know. But having all these different repos, if I have a bunch of stuff and these tools all need their own Docker file and their own manifest file, do I really end up having to have a separate repo for every Docker file? And because the tools will rebuild and redeploy every time a commit happens. And so that's I'm getting into the weeds of this stuff. So I'm going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, I would is, say start with Flux for a lot of people. Yes. The only reason I say that with is because Argo is great, but Argo tries to solve more problems. And so it's got more mm -hmm. stuff. And I think if you know Kubernetes and you, you already know containers and you know how to do, you make a Kubernetes cluster, you're satisfied with that. Try Flux first, only because I feel like its scope right now is more narrow. Not that this, because a lot of people, I, I think, have shifted to Argo. But Argo tries to solve more problems. It's actually got a CI component, not just CD. It does multi-cluster, although I think maybe, I don't know if Flux 2 V2 now does multi-cluster. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I would challenge that just a little bit. I would say if you're just coming from Kubernetes, it would probably be best to understand at least Helm or customize or mm. probably Helm. Because Helm, it's one more step closer to what GitOps is trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding that most folks aren't writing pure manifest YAML files for their services. They're typically writing one more abstraction above those like straight Kubernetes YAML files. And then they're automating the deployment of those things. <laughs> <laughs> typically. And yeah, so you, you do, have you to do, kind of understand like you probably need templates what, at some some level, yeah. Yes, yeah. The pattern here is I like the day 2 apps analogy because GitOps I, I think it's week 3 ops, yeah. right? Like day 2 you're like, okay, I'm like automating my YAML deployments in kube control day. At the end of that week, you might have some pipeline that builds a container and deploys using kube control. Then the week two, you're like, oh, I don't want to write all this boilerplate YAML every time. I'm going to use a templating engine, which would be like Helm or Customize. So now I have a Helm chart and I'm deploying, I'm doing Helm deployments with my CI CD tool. Yeah. Week three, you're like, I'm tired of manually triggering these or figuring out how to use Jenkins to do that. Then you can hit GitOps. And GitOps replaces. In continuous integration, continuous de deployment or delivery, or what do you want to call that? The CD part, GitOps does the CD part. So right. if you're using Jenkins, if you're already 
deploying to Kubernetes in some kind of standardized pattern right now. The part of your Jenkins pipeline where you're doing some kind of Helm operation or some kind of cube control operation, that chunk is replaced with GitOps. You just remove that. Yeah. And then the GitOps detects those changes automatically. It's so that's like, a weird thing. To me, yeah, I think I imagine it as your CI tool now is much more strict into CI and it's final act is probably tag building, like it's built an image, it's, it's pushing the image to the registry with the official tag that you need for the next yes. release or whatever. That's its last yep. thing. And Not necessarily the last thing, but if you're doing testing after yeah. it's deployed, there might be some stuff, but the, the chunk in your pipeline that's doing the deploy this new thing, that yeah. gets removed. Yeah, because I think some people will also, especially because Jenkins can do everything. So people build pipelines to do all sorts of things that it wasn't really I meant know. to do. So one of the yeah. things... I see people sometimes where they think that, oh, I can just set up a pipeline in Jenkins that will be my manual production deployment. And when I click it, it essentially does a cube control. That is what this is trying to replace. And it's much more intelligent than that. So because it yeah. has to be if it's a robot, it can't just blindly run a command and go, I don't know, may have worked. Good luck. Go check it yeah. out and see what happened. Because Jenkins isn't going to know, did it roll yeah. back? Did it did it? Have yep. image pull back off? What were these? Yeah. What were the issues? One last thing here, just as a teaser. Maybe we'll pick this up on our next show, Brett. Once you have a GitOps pattern or some really highly automated way of confidently deploying to a cluster, then you can start adding things like Flagger, and you can start to really do like the blue green. What, what I would say, advanced deployment techniques, right? Blue, green, AB, shifting traffic from one service to another, circuit breaker patterns. GitOps is one way of enabling the confidence in your CI/CD process to support more advanced deployment techniques, which is really kind of one of the states that we try to achieve with taking advantage of these tools like Kubernetes. And, right. And Without the so, heavy human involvement. Exactly. With basically no human involvement at all in, yeah. that, in that whole entire I mean, cycle. I, how many times have we been like in the ops room where like, I feel like I'm the monkey pushing the button and then we just wait and we're right. looking at some monitoring tool, some separate unrelated tool that's monitoring the yes. system and we're, it goes from green uh, you know, to yellow mm -hmm. or what, you're watching things happen and you all have to be there because you don't trust the tools to do anything yeah. in an intelligent way. So if things start to go awry, it's not going to know what to do. It, you're going to have to rescue the system. And yeah, so this is really a, just another step towards, I like how you said, increasing the trust in the automated tooling to do the right thing so that mm -hmm. you can get back to what you're trying to do, which is deliver more apps faster and more right. uptime and better results. Trust and confidence comes from repeatable results, mm -hmm. repeatability. Yeah. And repeatability comes from automation. GitOps is a way to automate. That's why it was always a scary <laughs> thing when you did that one deployment a year of that big software so there's update, a right? Perfect it was question. One, it was so nerve-wracking. So, someone just said in there that they don't do Terraform automatically because of paranoia. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's a All symptom right. of a larger problem, right? And not trusting the tool to not break things or that you've had drift and the tool will break the drift. The earlier question was, how do you handle approvals in GitOps? Well, since this is Git central and since Git. Like, yeah. it, it's Git, so whatever your Git tool is, you are limited, you benefit and are also limited to whatever its features are. So in GitHub, I know you can make a new repo, just put your manifest in those repos, only give 
people access to that repo. If you don't trust anyone and there's like a very small team, that's great. You just, you only allow forks with PRs, like the normal GitHub flow process. And then you can set up branch controls inside the permissions of that repo that say, for example, there has to be a PR, there has to be three approvers, mm -hmm. and it has to have all greens on the CI testing mm -hmm. tools that integrate with GitHub now. So if you're not using GitHub, make sure that tool can have that level of granularity and flexibility if you need it. If you simply just don't need that level and it just has to be a whole, do you have right access or not to the GitHub repo? Mm -hmm. like, that's sufficient for a lot of small teams or what I call solo DevOps. So these tools, that's the GitOps tools, you point them at a repo and a branch. So that branch is your gate. So whatever process that merges code into that branch is your approval process. <laughs> right. Agreed. Question on YAML. Can we use MS Excel spreadsheets to deploy applications? Yes, uh, I've seen that demo. It's amazing. <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> no, I have not. But I, I imagine that someone <laughs> could make that work. But also the thing about YAML is since it's like when YAML was new to someone, it was learning the, the format. It's kind of like a Docker file, right? Where you have to learn how the Docker file commands work and all that. So once you learn the YAML syntax, hopping to a new tool, you don't have to learn that tool syntax for its config file. We, I come from a world where like the MySQL config file was different than the Postgres config file, different from the package JSON, different from the gem file. Like they, these are all different format files, right? And I didn't want to have to learn the tool and then an also a file format. Like that's very frustrating. So the yeah. thing that I love about YAML is that it isn't perfect, but it, hey, it allows me to have comments better than JSON. It's a standard way for me to make lists and sub and arrays and nested scope. And yeah, it's, it sucks that you can't use tabs and you got to use spaces and that it cares about that. But I don't think there's anything coming out anytime soon that's suddenly going to make YAML and all these tools suddenly go away. Some tools have like traffic has a way that you can use Toml or other tools where you can use a different format, a domain specific language yep. and all that. Anyway, I don't know if you have a better, but yeah, that's, I have not seen this. Yeah. I thought I saw years ago, someone had a great Excel. Maybe this is, was this some years ago? Cause I remember some guy doing everything in Excel and his Excel automation was amazing. And it might even have been a Google sheet. I'm not sure if it's actually technically Excel. How, How do, do you handle, handle secrets? There you go. Yeah. You're on the same. Yeah. I think this is kind of one of those the chicken egg kind of situation with, with these kind of things. So what I've seen done is you use a tool like Helm and something like external secrets running on the cluster. So you have to use a tool like Helm to get external secrets configured on your cluster, and then use Helm to install Flux and Helm operators on the cluster. And that primes the pump, if you will, that primes the environment so that you can use Flux to deploy the rest of your stuff. So you need a little bit of that, I, I guess, a battery jumpstart <laughs> kind of situation where you have to kind of jumpstart. And then once the engine is going, once Flux is there, you can pull in the rest of the stuff that you want to deploy. And you only have to do that once at the beginning of your cluster creation. And then once yeah. you have that there, and, yeah, and I, secrets I, in this sense are like maybe Git credentials, SSH keys, things like that for the Flux tool or Argo tool to communicate securely back to your Git repository. Yeah. And there's instructions you're, on both of the projects to do You're that. probably going to have to solve the secrets problem way before you do GitOps. Yes. Really, to me, it's not a GitOps assumes no. you have secrets, but storing yeah. your deployment files, whether it's, like you said, Helm or whatever you're doing to deploy your right. application, de storing those in Git forces you to deal with the secrets problem up front. So the Correct. minute you, yeah, you want to store your configuration <laughs> of your app in and, YAML. And, 
or some format like that. You have to have a secrets. And, and we can have a whole show on secrets and the different tooling. And we actually talked about it where people, I'm not an expert on all the tools and the pros and cons. So people were asking like Azure secrets, AWS secrets versus Vault versus sealed secrets versus there was another one that came out recently and, and it was actually encrypting your entire YAML file. So there's lots of tools out there, but they are a prerequisite because if you want to put even Terraform mm -hmm. or any other tool in Git, you probably shouldn't store your secrets in Git in clear that's, text. That's not a recommended approach. I think in general, a vanilla Kubernetes cluster is missing some critical things that you'll still need to do to actually use it. Yeah. Right? And one of those things is using a tool like external secrets, plugging that with your Let's do another, let's yeah. put a pin in secrets and do another show on the, secrets. Brent. The old way we all probably started using secrets and, and this is another problem with Jenkins was that it does everything. So we could store everything as an environment variable. And so you could create all these yeah. environment variables in Jenkins, even though that's not really what it was for. And then when you're doing your CD by automating your cube control apply command, then you would technically have your secrets there. But now you're using Jenkins as your config DB and it just gets, I'm not a huge fan of that, but people do it, right? They don't want to have to go learn AWS's secrets or a vault or some other tool. I get it, right? Like you just cheat for now and that's totally fine. So yeah, this table to secrets discussion. Great question though. So why Argo CD doesn't deploy the Helm chart as Helm installation when we use GitOps model? We're not giving... Helm chart repo, or did I understand it wrong? I think you might be getting it wrong. <laughs> Usually you point Argo CD either at your at a repo that has Helm has files in it, in it yeah. or charts, or you can also point them at a Helm chart repo, which is a different kind of thing. Most of the time you want to point it to a repo that just has your Helm chart YAML files in it versus like a Helm chart repo. So you might have to change the way that you're using Helm. I think if I were to put like a little bit of a fortune teller, predict the future, I think GitOps and these Helm and customized tools probably going to start getting a little bit fuzzier in the future. Yeah. Right. Like I think they're going to start becoming more like one thing. Yeah. There's um, people but, that are like storing their Helm charts as a version thing inside right. of Harbor, for example. And then right. that becomes their deployment. The, it's, it's technically an artifact at that point because I think it's, I'm not sure if it sits inside an image or if it's, I don't know how it's storing yeah. it. Docker is also has the idea of possibly putting compose files inside of an image and making that exactly. versioned in a tag way. The problem I have though is that developers already, they have this existing workflow with PRs and Git branches. That has become, like I don't know a team that I work with that doesn't use PRs and Git as their way to ch make ch code changes and approve them. And whether they mm -hmm. do Simver or whether they're doing Git flow versus GitHub flow or like how they do all that stuff isn't really the issue. We're all agreeing that the pull request Git and Git plus Git model is like the thing. And to me, the way these tools are bringing stuff back to Git rather than your stuff being in an image registry. And, I, and instead of going to the image registry as a source of truth for which Helm chart version am I using or which image should I be deploying, like that, it brings it all back to Git. And I really love that approach because I can get, mm -hmm. get just about anyone in an organization to go look at a Git log in a, in a web page, right? Like you want to know what the status is? Go look at the, the PRs. Did the PR get approved? Okay, the thing is deployed. Go look. Instead of saying what we all used to have to do was, oh, well, you got to go look at this tool to see the status of the code, and then this tool to see the status of the infrastructure, and then this tool to see what's been You're deployed, which cluster has which deployment updated. Like bring it all back to the same workflow engine, and which is mm -hmm. the, the PR process. We all make these very formal processes around Jira tickets that all end up flowing into PRs and things. 
And if that was the same way we did infrastructure and the same way we did code the infrastructure, I think everyone wins, right? We're living in this smaller set of tools. Anyway, that's just... Yeah, and we're not saying that you have to do GitOps. GitOps is a very opinionated way of doing the continuous deployment of Kubernetes deployments. (laughs) If you've got a process that uses Terraform and sends a message to the Mars rover and flips a coin and it works for you, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so this is a great question. Next one, how do we test infrastructure techniques to test infrastructure? So if you're doing this where you're putting your infrastructure as code in a repo, you should now start building CI processes to test that stuff. So the very basic step one is lint it, right? If I make a YAML change and my CI tool in GitHub is very easy, you can use super linter in GitHub now, which like lints all the things. It's, it's from GitHub. And the simplest step one is make sure that's properly formatted and that it adheres to the standards that you agree with that linter on, right? Because all linters are slightly opinionated. So yes, go. Can I say my favorite Kubernetes joke that's related to that? Yeah. Kubernetes, where you're one tab away from destroying your cluster. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So that's why linting is important. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And and if you had... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, dad jokes, dad jokes. Those those are nerd dad jokes. But anyway, that's the step one. Step two is, yes, you need to basically have a, a, a CI workflow where you start to make tests when it deploys your YAML. You know, for example, does the app show up on the port and does it respond with the proper health check when you deploy it that way? So you're basically going to have to be building, deploying applications in a test cluster to test your YAML, your Helm chart, whatever it is, and then verify that the app is running. So it does get complicated pretty quickly, but I think if you take the patterns you have for your your application, your application testing rather, and then you maybe look at something like Kind, K-I-N-D, which is running Kubernetes in a single Docker container. That's a tool that would help you in a single container inside of your CI, because your CI is going to probably, it's building and running containers, essentially. So you could then maybe test that YAML in there by saying, did kubectl apply work? Did it come back with an error state? Did my application absolutely deploy? And can I test it within five minutes or something? Does the health check work? You can start to build that logic. I don't know of a specific tool that makes all that easier. I don't know if you know anything, normal. There's probably one out there, but other than having Kind that automatically builds the Kubernetes cluster for you and then- So there's Kind, there's there's a little bit more activity. I think there was a rancher might've been trying to do like a Kind K3S kind of thing, right? There's some tools that people use to test the Kubernetes API, right? Testing their controllers and things like that. That's an evolving space for sure. I think we're a couple iterations away from having fully like Kubernetes within Kubernetes testing, right? Where you can, as a developer in your CI CD pipeline, spin up a full Kubernetes cluster as containers, test your application deployment with all of its other services that need to be tested with, destroy the containerized Kubernetes cluster as the gate to promote your image. So what do you think about any recommendations on how to organize the project environment and clusters with Argo CD? So I would say one way to do it, and mileage may vary, is have separate Kubernetes namespaces for your different environments and di- different services in different environments. So service one, dev, service one, test, service one, two, dev, service two, test, whatever. Then you can set up Flux in those different namespaces to follow different branches. So if you have a dev test stage branch, it's only deploying those changes to those namespaces. And that's how you kind of can do quote-unquote multi-tenancy. 
Um, yeah, I think you can do directory too. I can't remember exactly. Yes, you can do folder structure. Yeah. Um, so that's also evolving. That is very actively changing in both those projects on how what other options are allowed. How do we differentiate <laughs> between Terraform and GitOps automation? This, can I just say this is an amazing amount of questions, and it's very clear this is a very interesting topic to yeah. the audience, right? So I think we might need to, because we're at the top of the hour, kind of say. I think we're going to have to do another show about this. This could segue, this question about Terraform and GitOps could segue really quick into us just at least getting some links and some stuff for y'all to look at because there's so much we could talk about, but we had a bunch of other stuff. So Terraform is one of the tools that you can use to implement infrastructure. There are these increasing number of tools, ideas around tools that could work in a GitOps workflow where you're... Kubernetes cluster, or now your Swarm cluster, we should also state that, there is this thing called Swarm Pack. I have not used it. For you Swarm fans out there, do this. Go try this out. People have asked on this show many times, is there GitOps for Swarm? This is the first time I've seen one. I have not tried it. I don't know the team behind it. But they have something called Swarm Sync, and it's essentially using um, Swarm services in a GitOps fashion, supposedly. Next. We're talking now about how GitOps is infectious because once you automate this and if the tool remediates properly, it doesn't destroy your cluster accidentally. If it's a smart robot, there are other tools now coming out there to saying, hey, let's do more than just kube control apply for your apps. Let's maybe do other things and use Kubernetes as the central control plane for not just your apps, but also to control the things even possibly underneath Kubernetes. So now you have... Uh, chicken or egg problem. What do you create first, the Kubernetes or the the GitOps tool that creates the Kubernetes? <laughs> we do have a few of these other tools. So other things you might look up. So the Swarm Sync thing. I mentioned Crossplane last week. Uh, Crossplane yes. is trying to be like the GitOps version of Terraform is maybe the best way to describe it. I'm probably screwing that up. I have not used it, but if you go um, to last week's show, we actually had a link from Victor Farsik. And you can look him up. It's, I think it's. I think his channel is the DevOps Toolkit pa- you, and the DevOps Paradox podcast. De- and DevOps Paradox podcast. Yep, that's his podcast. Another do- great <laughs> Docker captain who's been on this show multiple times, and he mm-hmm. has a whole video where he demos this, and he loves the idea because it was basically just like the GitOps that, like with Flux and Argo, this tool runs on top of Kubernetes. But it doesn't automate the stuff on your Kubernetes. It automates the stuff outside of your Kubernetes. And then today, Nermal just helped me catch up on this tool, AWS's controller for Kubernetes, ACK, not the command line tool for searching. So cross-plane, ACK, because of course, Amazon, rightly so, needs to have their own tool. So this is like the the GitOps, to me, I'm going to say this is like the GitOps version of CloudFormation, maybe? Yeah, so it's not the GitOps, but it's the Kubernetes... It's a way of using Kubernetes native artifacts to, of course, this is AWS specific, but instead of writing Terraform or CloudFormation, you would write a Kubernetes YAML file that gets interpreted by this controller and then deploys that those Amazon services based off of that. So instead of having like back to your diatribe about configuration format, you know, different yeah, <laughs> configuration yeah. format files. If you're starting to do just YAML, like Kubernetes YAML, then you could have a Kubernetes YAML for your Amazon services, like S3 and, right. I don't know, EC2 or whatever. Right. So if, if you're only in AWS, then you could possibly skip Terraform then and just use this YAML. Potentially, yeah. And because it's Kubernetes YAML, then you can make a Helm chart out of it. You could 
use GitOps with it. So then okay. everything starts to become managed by that. And I think Crossplane is a similar kind of take on that. Right. Yeah. It's obviously cloud agnostic, but like Victor was saying, it's not near as there's not near as many tools that plug into it like Terraform because it's doesn't it's been around months, not many years. So although I feel like I originally found this over a year ago and I just never did anything with it. So there are places you can run it. <laughs> and basically these are all becoming custom resource definitions in your cluster. So your Kubernetes yeah. cluster becomes this universal common way to manage and automate not just the apps on it and even apps on other clusters, but now the infrastructure beyond the clusters. Yes. And I think there's enough, yeah, sure, you could argue that was never within the scope of Kubernetes. But when you really look at the, the basic stuff in Kubernetes, when you look at the API and how it has controllers and has a scheduler, it is a... I'm forgetting the word. I need the word, but it's a tool that looks at a state engine, right? That's maybe what I'm looking for. It's a state engine where it looks at what you're asking it to do in a declarative format. It's looking at the state of that thing in, in the actual real world, and then it makes them the same. That's one of the things if that's it, really if good. It figures out a way to get the infrastructure to a state that you want it to be in. Right. In my workshops, I talk about how technically Kubernetes doesn't run containers. It doesn't ever talk directly to a container. That's why you can run now virtualization infrastructure with Kubernetes, not just pods and other things, because it has all these layers of abstraction. So it's just taking APIs, we call them resources, and applying and using controllers to apply the difference between what you want and what there is and making them yes. the same. And, and at, yes. at the very basic generic level, it's like that. And to some detriment, it is very unopinionated in that way. So it's very generic, which can lead you to get into a lot of trouble because you're just, yes. that's why that's why I don't teach a lot of cube control run commands because they're convenient, but something you would never really do in production. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Brett, it was an absolute pleasure talking about this topic. I don't think we got to all the things we wanted to talk yeah, about. But as always, we um, always end our show going, yeah, that's that's it for today. <laughs> yep. Next time I'm on the show, if, if Brett lets me on, we can have a list of topics that we can talk about. But amazing questions. It's very clear this is a topic that's on a lot of people's mind. Right. It's around this. It's the next phase, I think. It's the next big thing for once you've learned Kubernetes and you're using it, you're now like, okay, yeah. what's the next auto thing I can automate? And I think this is really it for a lot of people. This is the this is the next step. And thanks again. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>